Gentlemen, welcome to the Nobleman Podcast. This is episode number 34, The Nobleman Leads His Wife. Uh, our series title or topic for this month is The Nobleman Leads Well. So last, uh, last episode, we heard from Carlos Santiago talking about how the nobleman leads himself. And now Keith Tully, who's a familiar name to many of you, is our guest for this episode, The Nobleman Leads His Wife. Keith, welcome to the Nobleman Podcast. It's good to be with you. Thanks, Mike. It, it's great to be with you and the Noble Warriors men. Well, listen, you have been a workshop presenter at many of our conferences, but uh, some of our folks have also gotten to know you through your primary job with uh, Family Life, working with Weekend to Remember. So tell us a little bit about what you do in ministry and how marriage is so important for you in terms of ministry. Yeah, Trisha and I serve with, with Family Life, and we've been serving here for 15 years, and we came to this place out of our own brokenness. Um, God, we were dead, um, really living in the same house, but very isolated, and um, God came down and raised us from the dead um, through one of the Family Life events, and over the next three years, he put us back together and gave us a, a love that we didn't know was possible. And then he called us to go give that love away, that love and hope that we found in the context of our marriage um, through Jesus Christ. Uh, so that's how we came to serve at Family Life. And it's, it's a great joy. We work with local volunteer teams, primarily in Tidewater, uh, but also nationally. We train volunteers nationally for Family Life. And we're, we're excited about what God's doing. You know, the pandemic has... What it's done is it's shown people where they are in their marriages. You know, what we've seen is couples that have strong marriages, they loved getting more time together right. through COVID. Uh, but the ones who are struggling or had cracks in their marriage, it was like a magnifying glass that just shone on those broken places and those cracks that turned into fissures and it's put tremendous pressure the Wall Street Journal, I read an article recently, and they said um, COVID's been like a pressure cooker yep. for marriages. I, I read that uh, as so well. The, you know, so that's what we've seen, and but we're excited because our God wants to bring abundant life into those places, and that's why Jesus died. And the first thing that needs to happen for us to turn to him and receive that abundant life is to see ourselves honestly. And so seeing those broken places um, often encourages people to turn to him and ask for the help that they need. Uh, so we're, we are, we've seen our ministry increase during this time, not decrease. We're also very excited about the direction of family life. We're um, really moving more towards Jesus's model of, of fueling others and empowering yeah. others um, to walk out their faith in the context of marriage and family. So the whole direction of our ministry is moving towards local movements. And Trish and I have been able to be a part of that, training volunteers around the nation uh, to walk out their faith in the context of their marriage and family. It's, it, it's frustrating at times when something like COVID shakes up the status quo uh, because it changes things and it takes away things, uh, strategies, uh, circumstances, events for us that are familiar territory but that crisis also prompts innovation that causes us to be creative and um, 
to be dependent upon the Lord again and say, hey, what do I do in these situations? And so you guys are, are tuning in to what he's trying to do. Uh, well, not just you, but all of family life. Uh, that's what uh, solid ministries are attempting to do in this time is, is find new ways to minister. And so I appreciate you guys doing that so well. Um, hey, tell me uh, about your family. Tell us where you are. I know much of your story, but tell us about your kids and you and Trish, where you are in marriage and uh, what's, what's your status right now? So Trish and I, we're, we've been married 33 years. We have four children. And interestingly, when we were called to come serve at Family Life, uh, what one of the hardest things for Trish to give up was leaving the Virginia, North Carolina area. She really wanted our kids to go to college on the East Coast. <laughs> and she didn't want them going to Arkansas and saying, Woo Pig Suey, you know? <laughs> but as, as the Lord called us and made it so clear, um, he really spoke clearly into that for Trish, and she, we understood that this was just as much for our children as it was for us. You know, when we obey God, there was this moment where we knew that if we, with our decision to follow God to serve at family life, uh, our kids, we were going to leave a legacy to them, either one of obedience or disobedience. And we saw that come to fruition. Um, he showed each one of the children personally. He met each one of them in the process of moving. And we've seen um, his purposes come to fruition in their lives since we've been here. Uh, the, their faith grew, the opportunities they had to go to the mission field. Uh, so we have two daughters, one who is 26 now. Um, she's married um, to a missionary kid who lived in Brazil his whole life. Um, he's Brazilian and his parents worked for AMF. Our second daughter, uh, that, so we have two granddaughters. Perry has two granddaughters, two daughters, and it's great joy. Wow. We're, they're going to be here for wow. Thanksgiving. It's the first time our grandkids will be at our house. We're pretty excited about that. And then our second daughter, Merritt, is uh, 24. Uh, she works for a church up in Northwest Arkansas and working in the children's ministry. And just the other day, she was writing from a children's Bible, an entire story from the Jesus Storybook Bible. And God brought back a memory to her of when she was eight. And she would take her um, little girl Bible and she would scribe the stories and she would fold them up and tie them up. And like scrolls. And yes, like scrolls. Yeah. And at that time, she said, this is what I'm going to do when I grow up. And the other day, she was doing it in her job, scribing a story, and God brought that memory back to her. Wow, that's precious. And she was walking out her purposes for him. Then she came home to visit yesterday, and Trish had just broke out that little girl's Bible because our grandkids are coming. Yeah. It was on our shelf, and it was the first thing we saw when she came in, just God loving her. And then we have two sons. They're both at Baylor. Um, Jacob is 21. Joseph is 19. Um, Jacob is a, he's a warrior. Um, we've had the privilege of watching him go and take territory for the kingdom. He spent four of his summers um, overseas, two of them in Indonesia for the entire summer. And um, he wants to end up there. 
um, sharing Christ with the world. Um, so he's getting an accounting degree with a master's in accounting and has lined up with a firm that'll place him in Southeast Asia. And he's planning on being over there in a business missions type model. There you go. Uh, so he's, enga he's engaged right. and he is an adventurer as well. Her name's Bella. And then our, our fourth son is Joseph and Joseph's our creative one. Mm -hmm. uh, he's, he's just amazing. So he's in theater at Baylor and on a lot of the literature studies. Mm -hmm. um, he's, he's an amazing young man. So those are our kids and we're, we're just doing whatever the Lord asks us to do now. But you guys are currently empty nesters. Uh, Merritt is close enough that she can come and visit, it sounds like, but uh, it's you and Trish in that house by yourselves right now. It is. Unless yep. someone comes to visit. That's right. We have a lot of freedom. <laughs> we can do whatever God asks us to do. At That's this point. awesome. Well, so let me let me dive into a couple of things here. The noble man. I, I'm, in this series, I'm asking a couple of questions. Um, you've heard me talk about this. Isaiah 32, 8 says the noble man makes noble plans and by noble deeds he stands in the NIV. So when you think about noble manhood, Keith, what, what do you think about? What does Keith Tully think about when you think about the noble man? I think about the man who does the right thing, mm -hmm. a man whose mind and heart is not on himself, but on others, um, is caring for others and making decisions that um, help others reach the fullness of their purposes in the Lord. Um, so his mind's not on himself. He's caring for others and serving them in such a way that they reach the fullness of their purposes in the Lord. And that's a battle that we fight because that's not the natural man that I am. I, I'm a selfish guy at the core. And so this battle to live out noble manhood is a constant fight to yield to God's work in my life, to yield to the spirit, to to have Jesus manifest himself and his person in my life is uh, that's a constant battle to live that noble manhood. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that doesn't happen naturally. No. So our next question is leadership. We're talking the theme for this month. The noble man leads well. What does leadership? What does that word bring to mind for you? What does leadership look like for Keith Tully? Well, I think most importantly, in order to be a good leader, um, you need to be a good follower. And so if we're going to lead our families well, if we're going to lead in our jobs well, the first thing we need to be able to do is um, be sensitive to the Holy Spirit and submitted to him and understand what the Lord's desire is. Um, you know, it, it tells us in Ephesians not to be drunk with wine, but to be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that word be filled is a continual action to continually be filled with the Holy Spirit. And it really is a, a daily a moment by moment submission to the Lord. I'm praying continually, you know, in yep. a constant conversation with him, asking him, you know, Lord, how is it that I'm supposed to respond in this moment? How am I supposed to lead? And what words am I supposed to say? And so if we're going to lead well, we need to follow well. 
first. Um, and then we need to be bold enough to do the things the Lord asks us to do. When I think of a good leaders in the Bible, you know, one of the ones I admire the most is Nehemiah, mm -hmm. yep. you know, who, who received a mission from God, what he was supposed to do. And it wasn't something that was for himself. It was for, you know, the good of the people of Israel who were being brought out of captivity after 40 years and rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. And he, um, he led those people well through that process. Uh, one of my life verses is from Nehemiah 4.14, when they're building the wall and the opposition is coming against them. Mm -hmm. And he turns to everybody and he says, don't be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your families, your sons and your daughters, your wives in your homes. You know, their minds, his mind was on the mission God had for him. Um, but the purpose was to protect you know, their families, to protect their wives, to protect yeah. their homes. And a noble man um, cares for those around him and he wants to protect them. Um, he wants them to be safe and he wants them to be in God's will. Um, and Nehemiah did that really well. I appreciate you bringing up Nehemiah. One of one of the things that I think about with him is, um, you know, I when the opportunity comes for him to speak to the king, it says he he essentially said a quick prayer and then responded to the king, and and so for a long time I seized on that this quick prayer before I have to take action. But when you read before that, he had spent a lot of time in prayer and fasting in anticipation of that critical moment when he would have an opportunity to to speak to the king and so i i think it's it's uh easy for me as a guy who wants to run and go and and be very tactical uh to forget that the strategic work of praying in advance is something that we have to invest in so we are prepared for that critical moment and uh that's a that's a powerful reminder uh, because our, our world moves so quickly that we forget the power of that advanced prayer. That's it. And then when you look at the New Testament covenant, and what changes is we have the presence of God and the person of the Holy Spirit within us. And, you know, it's submission and a continual filling of the Holy Spirit that allows us to be in that responsive place that Nehemiah was. Yeah. Now, so... You and Trish have been married for 33 years. Uh, you're on mission with family life. You're serving and leading marriage ministry uh, locally in Virginia, North Carolina, but but really helping to build volunteers and catalyze movements in other parts of the, of the United States and even in the world. Um, how are you leading Trish even now? I know she has a very discerning spirit, and, and so... You and I know each other well enough to know that some of the, the, the challenges we have in this. And so how is Keith Tully leading your, his wife even in these days? That's a humbling question. 
I long to see Trish walk in the fullness of her giftings. Mm. In that abundant life that you know when you're walking where the Lord wants you to walk and using your gifts to edify others. Um, my wife has tremendous gifts of discernment and very prophetic gifts of saying the right word at the right time, um, deep wisdom from the word of God. Um, and those, those giftings come out. Sometimes I just feel like a, a coachman or a, a cab driver, you know, where I'm just supposed to get Trish certain places. And then um, as she speaks, empowered by the Holy Spirit, just heaven comes to earth. Um, so really, you know, the things I need to do right now is um, make space for Trish to spend enough time with the Lord mm. that, um, that she's close enough to him to hear from him and has that space to hear from him and be intimate with him so that when we're, we're with others, um, those giftings just come out and are exercised naturally. And the other, the other way I need to lead um, is to lead in such a way that um, Trish feels like she's fully engaged um, and she's engaged in the direction that we're going. You know, we don't, we are in ministry together. Right. God's made us one and we are, it's really honestly our oneness that is the most impactful part of our ministry, how close we are and how well we fit together as God has designed us. Um, it's the most impactful part of our ministry. You know, Jesus prayed in John 17 that uh, he would pray for us, for all of us, that we would be one and as he and the father are one. And there's a promise with it so that all men will know that God loves them and sent his son for them. I mean, it's it, that promise. There's a promise just with our oneness. Right. And if we reflect that in our marriage, it's the most, it's one of the most powerful things we can do for the kingdom. So for Trish and I, what leading looks like is making sure we're going the same direction together, that she is speaking into and in agreement Know that we're going slow enough to hear from the Lord together and know that we're doing what he wants us to do. Wow, that's that's interesting that we're going slow enough to hear from the Lord and do what he wants us to do because we we sometimes run ahead of the Lord, don't we? I, I know that's uh, that's one of my challenges. I get so excited that I, I run ahead and I can run way ahead of my dear bride, Stacy. You know Stacy as well. And so... Um, well, that's a good reminder to to be cautious of our pace. So, and that's one of the mistakes I've made the most in our marriage. I mean, it's really one of the things that led to our our brokenness. Well, tell and us we that were, story. That's what I was going to ask next. Just uh, tell us tell us your story of how you got to where you are at this level of maturity in your marriage. Well, it really does start with that. Um, with a zeal that didn't consider my wife hmm. that we were in we were in ministry in gates county north carolina just a rural county in north carolina it's very dear to us uh, it's about ten thousand people that live there uh, i was pastoring a a startup church uh, it was i was a lay pastor so i was still working at a lumber mill 
yeah. about 50 or 60 hours a week as well. Uh, we were, our church kind of had a ministry to the youth of the county. It was real clear calling for our church and anybody who came, um, if they had a passion for the youth of the county, they would stay and others wouldn't. So very young, pretty immature. And, uh, but God was, he was leading us and speaking to us. And we knew we had this moment where a woman in our fellowship had a dream that we were supposed to bring Daryl Scott to our county. And Daryl Scott was the father of Rachel Scott, who had died at Columbine. Mm -hmm. And um, I said, okay, why don't you share that at church this Sunday? And she shared it. And we had researched it and it took $10,000 to get Daryl Scott to come to our county. And we were, we were a church of about 20 families. Uh, so we got in a circle after she shared that and just said, God, if this is what you want us to do, we need $10,000. Amen. That was about as long as the prayer was. Wow. And in that moment, I'm someone who had been watching the kids across the street in another house and walked over and tapped me on the shoulder and said, Keith, I got a life insurance proceeds from my ex-husband's death. Here's the tithe. Do with it what you will. It was $10,000. <laughs> wow. So we just started running as a church. Um, we did what Nehemiah did and shared the favor we had received from God with other churches in the county. And about 30 churches jumped in. We ended up with 1,500 kids, 1,500 people under a tent on the high school football field three days before school started, six months later. And the Holy Spirit came down, captured the hearts of those teenagers. It was literally a move of God, and they went after their high school for the whole year. But in that process, we, um, I got lost in it, hmm. you know, seeing God do great things. And just everything was about that. And yeah. this is where my heart was. I was, when I looked at my wife and I saw, I saw her not keeping up, you know, we were getting farther and farther apart. She was, I didn't know this, but she was praying one prayer during that time. And it was Colossians 1.17. It says, Jesus is the head of all things and in him all things hold together. And for Trish, it was just a cry. Yeah. You know, Jesus, I am falling apart. You have to hold me together. You know, I didn't sign up for this. You need to hold Keith and I together. I didn't sign up for him to be gone all the time. And so that's, she just cried that. She couldn't pray anything else. It was just, Jesus, hold me together. Hold me in this marriage. For two years, she prayed that. Wow. So she's in this deep place of isolation and then anger. And I know something's wrong, but I'm thinking two things, Mike. And one of them was, you know, the Holy Spirit's in Trish. Mm -hmm. God is doing this. She's going to catch up. You know, God's doing this, Trish is going to catch up. And I was just running ahead in my zeal without any consideration for my wife and where she was or any real understanding of what was going on in her heart. Right. I never slowed down enough to really ask the questions and understand what was happening. I knew something was wrong and I'd come home until I thought it was everything was okay and then I'd be gone again. And, but I, I didn't really want to face my part in what was causing her hmm. to feel isolated and angry uh, until one day I came home and she met me at the door and she said to me, Keith, 
she, I still remember where the tears were on her face. And she said to me, Keith, I don't know if I love you anymore. I'm only here because of our kids. And then she said, I don't know if I've ever loved you. That's how far her heart had gone. So we were just in this deep, broken place. And it was partly, it was, I was running ahead out of my zeal. Yeah. The doing things, anything can become an idol. An affair can become an idol. Our work can become an idol. For me, ministry was an idol. And when you have idols, you sacrifice to them. And I was sacrificing our marriage, you know, on the altar of doing these great good things for God. So yes, we can run ahead in our zeal yeah, and not, not be together. So it was at the, it was at a family life event where God just captured us. Um, he came down in the first session and they started talking about affairs. And I realized that I'd been having an affair with the things I was doing. I couldn't do, I was so convicted by the Holy spirit. I couldn't do anything but repent. <clears throat> I repented to the Lord. I repented to Trish right in the middle of the first session wow. you know, on my knees in the middle of the first session. And in that moment, God gave her the grace to forgive me. He brought that scripture back to her from um, Colossians that she's been praying and just basically said, Trish, do you believe me? Cause the rest of that scripture is about it all being for his glory. Do you believe that I can turn your marriage into something for my glory? You don't need to trust Keith. He's going to keep letting you down. You don't need to trust what you're feeling. <laughs> you need to trust me. And he gave her the grace to forgive me. So that was the beginning. And then the biggest truth that the revelation that God gave me that weekend was, was that scripture from John. That our marriage, the holy purpose of our marriage um, is to tell the truth about God, mm -hmm. is for our oneness to reflect the fullness of his glory. I had prayed that verse in John 17 a thousand times for our little church, that our oneness would show people yeah. who it was. I had never prayed it once for my marriage. Mm -hmm. And I realized that I had completely missed the place of marriage in the kingdom of God. So a noble man leading in his marriage um, is leading towards oneness, is leading in such a way that he and his wife are reflecting on the unity of the Godhead yeah. and reflecting the mystery of the relationship between Christ and the church. Um, and it, he leads towards oneness. He's going to sacrifice whatever he needs to sacrifice for them to become one. Um, he's going to make decisions that his wife might not be pleased with at the moment, but in 20 years will be pleased with, says Russell Moore. Now that's the kind of leadership that is noble in a marriage. It's a So let me let me ask you what will sound like a goofy question, but is a question that um, that some guys would would think. You know, so you, I think you just said that uh, the noble man is sometimes going to make decisions right now that his wife may not appreciate currently, but would likely appreciate 20 years from now. Hypothetical. So there are guys out there who are saying, that's exactly it. I should buy the bass boat now. And 20 years from now, my wife will appreciate the fact that I got to spend a lot of time on the river fishing for bass. 
So that can get really misplaced, can it? Because we have to qualify our motives. We have to understand what's – I'm just thinking practically there are a lot of guys out there who will misapply some of this logic. Is that a fair statement or question? It's a good question. I think the right questions to ask yourself are, are will this decision move us towards a closer relationship with the Lord? Yeah. Will will this decision move us into a closer relationship with each other? And I think if you're answering those two questions honestly, you'll make good decisions around your marriage. Yeah. And the same for your family, right? Will this decision move my family more towards my king, more towards a real authentic relationship with Jesus Christ? So let's talk about this uh, in terms of phases of life. So you have one son who's a college student, um, not married, not engaged right now. You have another son who's engaged. You've got a daughter who's essentially newlywed, got married this summer, I think, had a COVID marriage, as I recall. And, yeah, one year ago. Yep. Yeah. And then you've got a daughter who's married and has uh, two kids. So we've got unmarried, engaged to be married, newly married, and young with children. So give us practically, let's, let's start how do we prepare as young men who aren't married to be ready to lead a wife when that time comes? Because mm -hmm. I, the spectrum of listeners to this podcast is broad. We've got a, a, a group of young guys who, how can we help them establish behaviors and, and um, thought patterns now that will uh, set them up for a healthy marriage? Oh, that's a great question. You know, I think the I think it's important for you um, to study God's pattern of relationships mm. as a young man, um, to really dive in um, what it means to be a son of God and a daughter of God, um, and to study marriage. You know, look at um, look at the scriptures around being single and the scriptures around being marriage married. You know, there's literally two institutions that God created to show people who he is. One of right. them is the church, and the second one is marriage. Um, there are people who are called to be single, uh, like Paul, and so that you're married to God and his mission. Um, but there aren't, there's not a lot of those. Now, that's a peculiar calling. Uh, and so God's design for all the rest of us is to right. be married. He said it's not good for man to be alone. That's right. So if you're if you're a young man and you're loving your independence, I remember those days. That's that's a lot of fun. But the reality is, in your heart, you know it's not good for you to be alone. Mm. And we naturally move towards. We're built to care for others. Now that's how God designed us. Um, so He designed us to be together with a woman, you know, one man, one woman for a lifetime. Right. And he did that so that together you can show people who he is, you know, one of the two institutions. So if you, um, you need to be conscious of that and digging in to what that looks like and asking God to prepare you for the one that you're going to lead. 
Yeah. All right. So how does that change? I mean, I'm going to move through these kind of quickly just because we watch time now. So, so you've got a son who's engaged. So God has identified the one that he had set apart for Jacob. And gosh, I'm, I'll probably get in trouble for dragging the Tully clan through this, I guess. But, but how, how, what is your instruction and encouragement to your son who's now engaged for him to begin to be attentive in a different way and lead in a relationship as he's headed toward marriage? Right, so it actually began before they were engaged. And so for those young men who yeah. are starting to date, um, it really began with him looking at Bella um, as a precious daughter of God, yeah. recognizing that she does not belong to him. She belongs to God. Mm. And having that kind of humility and that kind of care for her as this valued daughter of God. And so in that process, you know, my encouragement to him was, you know, Jacob, you're, you want to pursue Bella, you should go talk to her dad and let her know, hey, I know Bella's your daughter, um, and I want to pursue her, and I want you to know that I want to pursue her. Right. And he did that. So he started off his relationship with her um, by having a conversation with her dad and getting to know her family. Um, and then it really was that mindset and helping him keep that mindset. You know, Jacob, she belongs to God. Right. And, and you need to treat her like that. Um, she might not marry you. And may her time spent with you, may she end up closer to the Lord and more prepared for whoever God she's going to marry. Um, and then as they get engaged, you know, it's really the priority is, hey, you need to prepare for marriage more than you need to prepare for the wedding. Mm. The wedding oh, is, that's good. Wedding Wait a minute. Is, Say that again. Prepare for marriage more than you prepare for the wedding. Yes. Um, the wedding is one day and yeah. it's, it's a joyful day and it's something that concretes what's happening. But the real preparation is preparing for your marriage. Right. So we've, we've made sure they're not just doing a cursory preparing for marriage. We're um, giving them the resources they need to dig into so that they can understand each other, understand themselves, understand what it looks like to honor one another above themselves when they get married. Uh, so they're in premarital with a great pastor down in Waco where, they, where they're in school. And I mean, we just sent them an assessment to do so that they can see the areas they need to work on before they get married. So, yep, prepare for your marriage more than so. Do you think, Jacob? You described him as a warrior, so he's running hard and fast for the king. Um, and you have seen what challenge that created for you and Trish. So, how are you talking with him? I guess you're saying to him some of the same things you've said to us here, and that is to to be careful of the pacing, to focus on unity. Are you having those conversations with him? Absolutely. I mean, part of part, they're in a much better place than Trish and I were, because everything happened in the Lord after we got married. Yeah. So, one of the important things for them is, hey, this is the direction I feel the Lord has for me to go, Bella are you in with that? Yeah. You know, are you willing to go on that adventure? 
I mean, are you willing to raise your kids out of the United States? Are you willing to have children outside the United States? When we get married and we have children, are you going to want to live near your mom when God's called us to Southeast Asia? So there's, they're having those reality conversations now about what it looks like to follow God together. That's huge. Awesome. All right. So now you've got, then you've got a daughter who is newly married, so no kids, um, and her and her husband both working. I remember that double income, no kids were called dinks. And so they've got a lot of freedom. So what does leadership in that stage of life look like for a guy to lead his wife well? Yeah, you're in a asking God, you're making some of the biggest decisions of your life during that time frame, right? What kind of career you're going to be in, right. um, when you're going right. to have children, and what does life look like? So that's really the key, is, is to lead in such a way that you're pursuing God together, mm-hmm. that you're not just making the decisions on your own. I'm doing what you want to do, but you're asking God, you know, Lord, how is it that you want us to walk out our vocations? Yeah. How is it, when is it that you want us to have children? Are we putting that off out of our own will instead of yours? Right. Uh, But really being in that place of seeking him together. And and that's really all about your relationships with him. Um, So leading in that kind of way. You know, the disciplines of of being in God's word and of being quiet and having time to hear from him are, are getting lost in our culture because we're so busy. Yeah. I think it's one of the things COVID has helped with is we've had more time to be quiet. But even when we do have alone time, we tend to use it on entertainment. Right. You know, entertaining ourselves. And, and fill it with noise. Oh, we do fill it. So having that time where you're quiet enough um, to speak to him and to hear from him. You know, that's a big part of prayer is hearing from him. Yeah, I, I think that's a real key for a young married couple is to have those spaces of quiet. So one of the things that, that comes to mind, this is, um, is we make choices in that portion of our lives together about lifestyle, about standard of living, about what we're going to drive. Um, what is our level of indebtedness going to be that we're going to tolerate as a family? And how, what, how is that going to pinch us? Um, talk about financial decisions that you make at that stage of, the, of life that can open you up to respond to God's call on your life versus restricting you and closing some doors. I, do you see that being a, a challenge that young couples face? Absolutely. And I think the challenge actually becomes earlier than that. And it comes when they go to college. Yeah. So are you going to go to college and assume a bunch of debt or not? One of the things we did with our kids was we took them all through Financial Peace University when they were in high school. Yeah. And we, we homeschooled, so we had the freedom to do that. And every one of them, as they went to college, they made the decision, we're going to get through college without debt and made decisions so that that could happen, pursued enough scholarships and chose a specific school so they could get through. 
I mean, all four of them are getting through without debt. Yeah. And so it's, we need to be intentional about those decisions. And the reason is, um, one, we want to be free to give wherever the Lord asks us to give. Right. We're all part of the mission to get Jesus to the ends of the earth. Um, it, it's an incredible adventure God allows us to be a part of. Um, it's an incredible mission for us. So we're all part of that. And part of that is giving so that that can happen. Uh, so we want our resources to be free to give as much as we can give to yeah. where the Lord wants us to. Um, and then if you, if you stay out of debt, you're able to go. Yeah. You're able to respond to him when he asks you to go to Southeast Asia, or, you know, I want you to spend your summer um, helping people that just got flooded in Louisiana. You know, you're able to respond to him and, and say yes, if you have that kind of freedom. So that's another part of leading in this process. All right, so then you've got another daughter who's young family, couple of uh, young children. How does a man lead in that stage of life? Anything that changes when those kids come along? <laughs> well, I think patience is a huge part of leadership in that space. Um, kids are going to, they're going to slow you down a lot. Yeah. Um, you need to care for them and uh, you need to slow down enough um, to be with your wife in that process, all those adjustments that she's going through and what it looks like to care for that dependent one. Um, so I think, you know, this begins in the beginning of your marriage, but really being a student of your spouse mm -hmm. is a really important truth in that stage uh, just going slow enough that you're learning about her you're hearing where she's insecure you know, what she's concerned about taking the time to listen well and be a, a good student of your spouse is important there um, and then i'm um, helping to carry that load yeah you, know, you are both parenting that child and um, parenting together and just taking the time to learn how you're going to fit together to parent well. Um, so it's really being patient and leading with patience, um, being patient with your spouse and patient with yourself to learn, um, giving grace to each other. Um, so if you lead with that grace, it kind of sets that atmosphere to give grace to each other in that time when you're learning so much new. So what about, I see lots of situations where it looks like the children have become the focal point of the home and they are the priority. So, um, and, and this goes on in churched families, godly folks who all of a sudden the marriage is secondary to the kids. How would you encourage a guy to lead in such a way that he reminds himself and his wife that the the most significant gift they can give their kids is a healthy marriage and a godly marriage so how do you how do you turn that ship when you notice that hey our kids are kind of running things here yeah that's a that's a good good question so you've stated it really well um the first part of that leadership is being conscious mm. conscious that your marriage is the priority relationship that it is 
the greatest gift you're going to give your children. Um, you are going to model for them what a healthy, robust relationship that follows God looks like. <laughs> so you have to prioritize your marriage. It needs to be um, the primary relationship in the home. Uh, the other part of that is you're protecting your wife when you do that as well. Mm. And there's a time 21, 20 years from now or 18 years from now when it's just going to be you two again. And you need to, um, you can't, lots of couples lose themselves yeah. when they're kids. And you don't know each other when you get to that 18 year point. Um, so you're protecting your wife, you're protecting that relationship by continuing to invest in it. So how do you lead that direction is gently, mm. right? Because their natural inclination is to prioritize the children, the yeah. ones who have the greatest needs. Um, so it needs to be gently, but you, there will be times when you need to be firm as well. And we're going to, we're going to prioritize our relationship because you are so valuable to me. Yeah. And our marriage is so valuable to God. So we're going to prioritize it. So I think gently is really important there. Um, but there'll be times when it needs to be firm. And I'll give you an example. You know, Trish and I, we didn't leave Joseph by himself until he was six. Wow. That was terrible leadership. That's a long time. That was, we did not take, uh, we did not go away for a night together by ourselves for six years after our fourth child was born. And part of it was just our brokenness, hmm. right? We were in such a deep broken place and I wasn't leading well in our marriage. But you need to make space for the times of romance. And more importantly, I think the space for the times where she can share with you what's going on in her heart and the space, that space to listen to her. Yeah. So let me let me stop there and just and just drop a point in, because you just talked about the fact that um, Jacob needs to have the conversation. Um, would you be willing to have children to Bella? Would you be willing to have children overseas? So that means that. Keith and Trish are not going to have great access to those grandkids. Um, and you guys are wrestling with that. So the reason I bring this up is because they're going to need to have relationships with some folks that they can be surrogate grandparents to those children so that there's an opportunity for them to get away. I know this sounds kind of crazy and far-fetched, but, man, we need to have relationships with people who can help us do well in marriage. You may be a seasoned couple in your church and you're watching a young couple struggle. Well, befriend them and and learn how to love them in such a way that they can um, slip away. You provide free babysitting for them so that they yeah. can care for each other. Learn to invest in marriages in that way because you know how valuable it is. What would you say about those sorts of encouragements? Amen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so we and, have to do those things yeah and as parents um, pray for those relationships for your children yeah. now our oldest daughter perry and her husband lucas live with a family of seven you know they're upstairs above a garage with a family of seven and that's been the best environment they could have as they've had their first two children 
because they've been able to see a real good model of what it looks like to care for children yet prioritize a marriage. That's awesome. Well, so I, I'm watching time here. I know that we've got to uh, we've got to shut this down, and we may have to get together again. Hey. It, you work with Family Life. You serve there. There are just incredible numbers of resources that are available to help in each of these phases. Keith, what would be a couple of resources that you would recommend to guys who want to lead their families well? They want to lead in marriage well and love their wives as Christ loved the church. Well, first, the most practical step you could take to lead your wife is to start praying together mm. every day. It is a simple step. Um, it doesn't have to take a lot of time. Now, I'm, I'm not talking about spending 15 minutes praying together a day. I'm talking about 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes at the beginning of each day where you are praying, you're thanking God for your marriage, thank him for sustaining you. Um, ask him to help you love each other well, pray for your wife's day, hmm. and submit yourself to God. You know, it, it will really become a submitting of yourself to God every day. Um, and that's a place that'll begin to align you. Um, Trish and I didn't begin doing that until we'd been missionaries for seven years. Yeah, But it's the most significant thing we've ever done spiritually in our lives to move us towards oneness. So if you want to lead towards oneness, the most practical thing you can do is begin praying every day. We have a couple of resources at Family Life that'll help you do that. Um, there's a oneness prayer challenge that'll lead you through that for 40 days. And we have another one called <clears throat> um, Go Vertical. So it's familylife.com forward slash go vertical. And it's 40 days of vertical prayers. And they literally, it's one verse and then a way to pray that verse to orient your marriage for the day. Super simple. Awesome. So that would be, that would be one. Uh, the Art of Marriage or Vertical Marriage are tremendous resources to dive into with other couples or just with your wife. Um, Bob Lapine just came out with another study called Love Like You Mean It, uh, which is going to be available at the end of November. But that's going to that goes through first Corinthians 13. It'll be an incredible study on what it really looks like to love. And one of the most impactful messages Trish and I have ever heard was Bob Lapine um, sharing on the great commandment, commandment um, love your neighbor as yourself. And he asked this really simple question. He said, who's your closest neighbor? Yeah. And he said, turn to your spouse. He said, that is your closest neighbor. You know, it begins right there. Yeah. <clears throat> that's how we learn to love is in that primary relationship. Uh, well, and that's where the unity comes in, but it also becomes part of our witness to the world. Um, that that unity, the health of our marriage becomes a witness to so many folks who um, come from broken backgrounds and are looking for hope that marriage could actually work. And so, um, man, we can be... Uh, we can point directly to the Savior by living out our marriage and letting people see that closeness and that oneness. Mike, do we have time for me to share the thing I, I felt was most important coming on with you today? Sure, absolutely. The reality is, um, Mike just hit it. You uh, are an image bearer 
mm. of our God. It's holy to be an image bearer of God. And as you lead and love well, you are bearing his image. Your wife is an image bearer of God. And together, you can bear the fullness of his image. And it's that oneness that you know, we've been designed. We get this great yeah. joy of showing people who God is by how we fit together and how close we are. Um, but many of you um, don't have, aren't hopeful about right, that right now. You don't feel like you're one. You're, you're struggling. You're frustrated. I was frustrated in those 10 to 14 years of our marriage. Trish was deeply frustrated. You know, you're, you're broken, you're hurting, and you don't know how to, how to get to that place of oneness that God has designed. And I just want you to know that, that our God is a God of hope. He is, uh, I'm going to share a scripture with you. It's yeah. in First Chronicles, and David was in battle with the Philistines, and he was asking God, should I go into this battle? And this is how God responded to him. He said, go, I will deliver them into your hands. So David and his men went up to Baal Perazim, and there he defeated them. He said, as waters break out, God has broken out against my enemies by my hand. So that place was called Baal Perazim. The Philistines had abandoned their gods there, and David gave, gave orders to burn them in the fire. So that word, Baal Perazim, it literally means the Lord of the breaks. Hmm. It means the God of breakthrough. That is who our God is. In the image, as water breaks out, God has broken out against my enemies by my hand. The image, the literal image that's used in those words is it's like water pressing up against a dam until it just bursts through the dam and blows it away. That is who our God is. He is the Lord of the breaks. He is the God of breakthrough. So if you're in that place where you know you're not in the place where you should be in your marriage. You're hurting, you're frustrated, you're separated, you're broken. Your God is the God of breakthrough. And I just want to encourage you um, to hold on to God's promise that in Christ Jesus, all things hold together. Um, to keep loving your wife, keep pursuing Jesus, keep loving her as you're empowered by him and keep entrusting her to him, keep praying for her. Um, and God will hold on and God will bring the breakthrough and he will shatter the stronghold. He will shatter whatever through revelation or understanding, he will bring it um, to shatter whatever is shackling you and it will allow you to move towards oneness. Often times that ends up being something inside of us mm -hmm. that we didn't understand was hindering our marriage. It's our own sin or our own lack of understanding. And God will bring that breakthrough, the repentance or the understanding that we need for us to adjust so that our, our wives can move back towards us again. Our God is the God of breakthrough and just wants you to hold on to that. Wow. We don't have to cut that off and put it at the beginning. 
<laughs> it was amazing. Thank you, Keith. You know, uh, the Philistines left their idols there, uh, or they, they abandoned their idols, and that's a piece of this, isn't it? Those things that we would put before our wives, before our marriages, um, before our relationships with the Lord, uh, those idols. So, wow. Well, uh, Keith, we also have workshops that you've done. So, folks, if you're listening, we'll try to link uh, a couple of the workshops that Keith's done at our conferences to this podcast so that you could get those and hear him encourage guys in marriage over the years. Um, and I, if you're listening to this, make sure you check out Family Life. There's a new app that you can download from Family Life that will direct you to a lot of resources. Uh, there are also some local churches. If you're listening to this uh, in November of 2020, there's some local churches that are hosting the Art of Marriage workshops. Check those out. Um, you can participate in those, I believe, in person or you can attend virtually. There's always great assets and opportunities available through Family Life to help you with some encouragement that you need. Pastors, if you're listening to this, man, uh, connect with Keith. We'll, we'll make sure we can connect you with him so that you can learn about how to invest in marriages strategically and intentionally through your local church because that's part of the heartbeat here. So, uh, Keith, any final words before we sign off? The Art of Marriage in Richmond is at Mechanicsville Christian Center, right. November 20th and 21st. And there's one near Charlottesville at Calvary Chapel, Fluvanna, November 13th and 14th. Uh, so we'll, we'll have the link. Um, if you needed to invest right now, you can do it in person or virtually Friday night, all day Saturday. It will bless your marriage. There you go. Mike, thank you. For your investment in these men um, and may god's favor rest upon you in your ministry well i am thankful for you brother thanks for the opportunity we've had to do ministry over the years and um i just look forward to much more of that so we'll have you on as a guest again keith thank you so much and uh god bless you uh folks this brings to conclusion episode 34 the noble man leads his wife Tune in next time. Uh, we'll be with John Majors, and we'll hear the noble man leads his family. So we're going to extend this from, from leading his, himself, leading his wife, and leading his family well. So God bless you, men. We we'll look forward to catching you next time.